There comes a deep breath in, air flowing across the room as a wave. Then, Monarch begins to speak. I could say I came to this place a very long time ago, but I could just as well say I am imagining an event that has not yet happened. This place is not so much a location as it is a vision, and like any thought, it shifts and cracks with time in its foundations. It is not infallible. Even so, place is a better word for it than most. Over this story, the opening notes plucked are faint the way that all sound is when beneath the pressure of a body of water. Long ago, or before today, maybe even yesterday, I had encountered many stars, but this thing was a first. It glinted just a little, had mineral pockets, veins of metal and magma sluggish but stirring beneath its surface, and was a singular thing to my mind, a beautiful thing. I observed it for some time, witnessed it drift, catch faraway starlight, and release it again, deceptively unhurried. All the while, hidden from sight, its core was a frenzy of activity, growing astronomically, though it seemed inert. I had few words then, had experienced little yet of the universe, and so, to my naive mind, it had seemed to be an inverse star. Unstar, I had thought. Darling, you must remember that nothing is absolute, that there is space always to learn more. There is a beauty to be found, sometimes, in being proved wrong, and in so doing being able to deepen your understanding of your place in the infinite. What I had thought, at first, to be an inside-out star was something else entirely, and when finally I alighted upon its surface, I could feel just how different it was from anything else I had yet encountered not least because I experienced the boundaries of my own form for the first time, landing upon the surface. I had thought that I was space itself, but the surface taught me otherwise. I was humbled. More than that, I was grateful. As I marveled at the subtle demarcation between myself and the surface, a word came to mind. Planet. A star is a body that gives off light, heat, energy. A planet is for harboring. And so it harbored me. I felt the surface shiver, then expand and crack slightly as if it were taking a breath. Carapace outgrown. From the cracks welled molten earth, and from this lava grew several peaks, the fissures widening to give the sudden mountain space. I plucked three of them, curious. There were so very many. But you do not hold an anchor forever. You lower it so that it may steady you. The sudden mountains did not fall back onto planet, and instead hung above it, circling like companions. I did not call them anything new. They were of planet, plain and simple. This, to me, was an obvious fact. There came a point where the growing slowed, then stilled altogether, the surface nevertheless vibrating with the weight of all its potential yet held in check. 
I'm not sure that it needed a guardian, but I felt endeared to it, this child of the universe, this fellow cosmic body. I reached over, broke its outer crust as though breaking a loaf of bread, reached in to crumble the stone of its heart to velvet soft lava. Its liquefied stone rose next as though it were a cloud of steam, enveloping the whole of the planet, then cooled and condensed again into fluid that pooled all around me, its weight pushing the softest parts of the planet's surface inward, this in turn causing protrusions to spring up elsewhere like the balancing of its planetary scale. Water. The word came to me as a quiet fact. It was every bit as mesmerizing as the gaseous fires that made up the stars, as the clustering lakes that were galaxies, plumescent nebulas. It was an altogether strange substance, transparent, heavy, yet parting and reforming with ease upon encountering an obstacle. Even so, around me it gathered so thickly that there came a point when I could no longer see the surface from where I stood. The substance took on a shifting, reflective quality. I bent to reach for where planet's surface had been completely submerged, and was astounded to feel something unusual against my astral body. It was not planet, but something else. It stuck gently to my outstretched digit like a sugar crystal. Up from the water, I brought the limb that it had clung to closer to the center of my field of vision to admire it, to admire the perfect mystery of its smooth, spherical form. Seed, I said to it, and felt it tremble with delight. It came unstuck just as gently as the last of the water on my digit dried, and rolled down into the flattest expanse of my limb. This is how I became acquainted with gravity. I made of my astral limb a cradle to keep the sphere from falling further and was so moved by its new protective function that I named this part of myself Hand. Seed trembled again, and then sank, seemingly of its own volition, into the cradle that was Hand, away and out of sight. Faintly, I felt it settling into some distant part of my astral body but then it quieted and was still. It seemed that I too could be a harbor, like planet. I contemplated this for a time, for an era, or the passing of an age. because planet changed around me, and because I could feel the steady flow of vitality leaving my cosmic body to rejoin the infinite. There on the surface I stayed to become a tree in spirit, rooted to the surface and unbowed, before again returning to the reality of my living body. I do not know whether I had shrunk or whether the strange substance had grown in volume, but I found myself nearly submerged, water causing the detail of everything it harbored within to soften and waver. It rocked my limbs and my trunk. 
had a weight to it that made me feel curiously weightless. In the distance, I spied a protrusion. Land, I thought, and moved through water to higher ground. With every step, the liquid grew lighter and clearer, my form emerging from it and towering ever higher with relative distance. I had kept my mind above water during my age of contemplation, and so my body had grown long while water had grown deep. The relative distance now left me feeling bereft, and so with each new step I willed myself closer again to the surface of the planet. When length of form and depth of field had attained a harmonious ratio, my bottom-most limb trod upon another unusual grain, somewhat larger than the first that I had come into contact with. I reached through water, cradled it with hand, and at this another curious thing happened. I could sense, beyond its simple shell, dormant inner workings that had been folded up together with a complexity that seemed different from that of planet's heart. Another child of the universe, this one fragile and not to be cracked open by even the tenderest of force. It did not sink into me the way that seed had either, and yet it looked almost identical, was a seed in kind. It gave me no sign of what it needed from me. It simply waited. Or I did. Who waited for whom, I do not know for certain. Perspective is more agile even than water. But then it came to me. I said, I said something that will not ever again be said. I have spoken many such words, and will speak more still. That, however, is a tale for another time. At the word, the seed of a different kind shivered and unfurled, not cracking but unfolding at the seams of countless invisible grooves into a dewy, fragrant star that quickened next into a round, reddened fruit, withering soon after into a single, translucent crumb. Sand, I said, and so it was. The seed had bloomed, grown lustrous and fat, then faded away so quickly I thought I may well have imagined the strange feat of mortal beauty. But I held the memory of it in hand, a tiny grain of proof. And then, at a sudden breeze, sand lifted from hand, feather light, and dropped into water. The more I walked, the more I could sense seeds, faint but unmistakable. They were wondrous, everywhere resting in water at its lowest points. I reached for the cradle of water, sifting through the silk-fine silt that had begun to blanket it there as though fishing for pearls, hoping that the limbs of my astral body would once again brush up against ephemeral gold. That they did, over the course of an ever-afternoon, and I pulled seed after seed from water, some opalescent and smooth as pearls, some tough as stone, others soft and fibrous, but all heavier than they appeared. One after the other I cradled them in hand and gave them each their own words according to the feel of their inner clockwork, their outer beauty, igniting their mortality with an affection curious and intent. Many, like the first, lived short, beautiful lives, while others endured for much longer, slipping from hand into water to carry on with their mysterious purposes until they, too, joined the sands of indelible memory. 
I moved towards land with deliberate care, leaving in my wake an elaborate music box of mortality, crafted and planned by a mind that was not my own, that I knew only by way of its beautiful work, a living symphony. The small part I continued to play in its unfolding did nothing to diminish the wonder I felt in witnessing it exist and grow in complexity with each new seed awoken. The more I ignited, the more exquisite each individual became, as though the artisan who had made them were perfecting their craft, becoming more expressive. It would be a very long while, and even then only by chance, that I met the composer of these sublime pieces— but that, too, is a story for another place, another time. Each phrase Monarch speaks becomes a tunnel in an anthill, arcing out like a tree laid bare, like lightning gone to ground. The last word of the last phrase settles into a cul-de-sac in the air, and yet spirit continues to fill the room with the deep shimmer of their song, leaning into its current with eyes closed, the picture of grace-filled certainty. Their fingertips phase in and out of view, illuminating with colors like ink beneath frosted glass, the music they draw from their instrument guiding you all to the edge of a precipice, beyond which something that has already happened will happen, its echoes long having been the pillars of your psyche. The music swells and monarch shifts in spirit's lap, head turning as if to look up at their fellow entity. The dark, strange waters begin to flow out from around the crown of their head like before, wisps of color slipping up and then away like underwater shooting stars. In spirit's hands, the music flits across the chords, rapid, bright, and faint, selequum on planet's water. At last, approaching shore, I awoke a seed with chords of its own, a seed that unfurled and spoke back. It echoed me at first, but at length surprised me by responding in an idiosyncratic yet congruent manner. Expression, I called this. Through expression, I understood what it felt like to be seen, to be connected, we, I shared aloud, the small mortal accepting this semantic gift, settled upon one of my limbs, subsisting upon expression and the form that had been crafted for it by the other mind. Together, we arranged words into strings and attempted mutual intelligibility, equally curious to know of each other, and in so doing achieve expression of our own selves. As water fell away from land, we happened upon another seed which I awoke with a word. Hearing this, the small mortal returned to hand for a closer look, laboring with each movement it made, and asked, You call what I? I spoke the name I had given it, and it had seemed somehow comforted, but then in the space of a moment withered away in the cradle of hand. I felt bereaved. Our expression could otherwise well have gone on forever. There were questions I had wanted to ask, words innumerable that I had left to bestow, to share. With this sudden absence of reciprocal expression, I understood all too clearly what it meant to be alone, which in this context felt so different from the distant solitude I had experienced before. The evidence of its existence sat in the cradle of hand so tiny, 
this grain of sand, but glinting as it caught the distant sunlight, a memory of great beauty. I thought the small mortal's name again, and then let it slip gently into the blanket that was water. I felt a sensation I named grief, which took residence in me, unbidden but not unkind, and with time left quietly, becoming fondness instead of pain. But here, with an immediate grief, right here and now again in hand, was another mortal who desired expression, so similar to the first, and yet somehow different. Together we arranged words in new ways to foster mutual intelligibility, but there came a time when this small mortal, too, asked me with great lethargy to speak aloud its name, and so, in peace like the first, withered away. Again I knew grief, and again it lingered as I woke another small mortal. Upon land there were more seeds and a great variety of mortals with cords of their own that desired expression. So numerous did they become that they no longer simply curated my words with me, but also amongst one another. This surprised and delighted me. Expression became rich conversation. Their own minds, in meeting with increasing complexity, developed sand of a different sort, a steady accumulation of immaterial living memory. I came to know expression as a thing of word and wisdom, conversation of idea and memory. And grief, though quieter a sensation in my being than ever before, never again left me. This is how I made an acquaintance of joy. The small mortals, with their own chords, with their collective and individual sands of memory, did not exist on the same scale as I did, but joy took root in the ephemeral time that we spent existing together, in the time that we were able to harmonize through expression, through conversation. Joy was a manifestation of the contrast between grief and of the depth of appreciation I had for the time that I was given with each of them, for the way that their minds and bodies grew together and individually in complexity. Seeds of forms alike and different, chord-speaking or given to quiet contemplation, uncoiled, unfolding, turning, whirling, turning as they shook, as they spread over and away from the path I walked, a line I named Equator. They were perfect always, but for a beautiful fatal fiber that they possessed, the thread that emerged from spoken word to wind through the clockwork of their natural lives, delineating the limits of their mortality. Planet grew and grew lush, grew vibrant, wondrously strange. And though the history of planet flowed as a fossilized alive current through the minds of the small mortals, crystallized in the grains of sand, I began to preserve its history in verse as well. Song, I called this. Word by word it was a saga pressed by fingertip into the heart of the landscape, a history made as tangible as stone, as mutable as water and evolving with every seed awoken, with every grain of sand they add a name became. That is how planet turned into world. The fire in the hearth has all but gone out, its embers winking and flickering a dim light against the stone that cups it, but making no noise. 
Monarch allows the story of a memory to rest in the space between you all, letting their head fall back against spirit. And then the notes come slower, trail in the air, pushing and pulling at you so that you imagine you are swaying in the shallows of a sea. Each sound reaches you distinct, in sharp relief, but with a soft timbre. The room is otherwise so still, you can almost feel where each note dissipates and where, here and there, one is nudged, bowed by the slightest of breaths. Each one hangs in the air just a little longer than its sound can be heard, the unweight of it lingering just so. The work of mortality, of the parceling of forever into beginnings and endings, was itself never-ending. I would awaken one, and shortly after lead another to its eternal rest. Still, with every seed whose birth and death I attended to, I grew closer to world, tethered to it in a way that felt both alien and benign. I would bring life to beautiful, mysterious organisms, and they in turn would embark upon a new train of thought, expanding my mind in the course of exploring their own. There was world, and there was also a world unseen. It wasn't simply that together they accumulated and preserved the sands of living memory in their minds. With time, expression and communication began to revolve around things that were not in world, that had not yet been. This was different from memory, was different from the sand we exulted in song. Ever-expanding was the world unseen, parcels of it as likely to be shared by groups of mortals as they were to be nurtured by one alone. Though it was all around us, the world unseen was a place I could not at first go without their guidance, that I glimpsed only small pockets of while joining in their communication. I called this... Dream... While dream continued to grow beyond measure, changing, transforming, reverting more quickly than world could ever possibly manage to, all who resided there, all of us, grew closer as well, as bonded together on world as we were in each dream that we shared in common. By stars and moons and tides and sands and dreams and songs, we measured the flow of time, the grief and the joy that was to be found in mortality. And so, with the passing of ages, world became home. <laughs>